Well, if you were here with us last Sunday night, you might remember that we ended with a question. Uh, we were looking at Lord's Day 6, talking about Jesus being fully human and fully divine. And we looked at this, remember the pandemic of sin? This pandemic that has gone over all the world and all creation, affected every person, this disease called sin. And because Jesus was, was fully divine, he discovered the cure for our sin. And because Jesus was fully human, he was able to deliver that cure to us. And we ended with a question, okay, if Jesus has discovered this cure and he's delivered this cure for sin, and it's enough for everyone, then why isn't everyone saved? Why isn't everyone healed of this disease called sin? That's the answer we're going to look at, the question and answer we're going to look at tonight. We're still exploring the truths of Romans chapter 5 that we read last week. We're not going to read that again. Instead, I'm going to have you turn to Luke chapter 14 because we're going to add a story into the truth of, of Romans chapter 5. Paul gives the intellectual teaching, but Luke here gives us the story that, that lives out that teaching. It's the story of the great banquet, Luke 14, starting at verse 15. And oftentimes in, in Jesus' day, the banquet was an image used for heaven, for the, for the kingdom that was to come. And it is in this story as well. Jesus is having dinner at a, a Pharisee's house. He's surrounded by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And in verse 15, it says that one of those at the table with him heard what Jesus was saying. And he said to him, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus replied. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So it's the story of a party, a grand party and a feast. And, and not everyone had a good time on the night of this party, Jesus said. Right? Everyone who accepted the invitation and everyone who came had a great time. But everyone who made up some excuse, and if you dig into the history of this passage and the history of that time, every excuse you see there is a lame excuse. Not one holds water. But everyone who made an excuse just so they didn't have to show up, they missed it. So a good time was had by all, except for those who missed their chance. It's a storyline that gets lived out all the time, really in my life. I get invitations all the time to, to pastor's breakfasts, pastor's lunches. You name the business, the bookstore, they want us to come. And, and I used to go to those, and I don't go anymore. I, I, I just don't have the time, and you know what? I, I prefer 
lunch at home. I prefer breakfast at home. But you know what? That doesn't stop the breakfast and lunch from happening. There's still plenty of people who say yes, and they get a good lunch. They get the free gifts that come along with it. It doesn't stop just because I don't show up. Jesus says in this banquet story that that's the tragedy of the kingdom of heaven. As much as we like to believe that at the end of time, everybody's going to enjoy the party, that a good time is going to be had by all, Jesus says that's not the reality of eternity. Some are going to choose to miss the party. Some are going to choose eternity apart from God's plan. And that's a tragedy. You know, it made me think of a, a book back in the late 1800s. Alexander Dumas wrote a classic novel. It's been turned into numerous movies and, and even has a candy bar named after it, The Three Musketeers. Maybe your favorite candy bar, right? In, in that book, these three French guards, they're in the French military, they, they bind themselves together, these three men, on oath that they're going to fight evil against, you know, against evil in their time. They're going to do it together. Their, their battle cries probably a battle cry you've heard, even if you never read the book, right? They go off into battle saying, all for one and one for all. They're going to go down together or they're going to be victorious together. And we would love to apply that battle cry theologically as well. Right? When it comes to our sin, and when it comes to our salvation, is it really all for one and one for all? Well, that one, all for one and one for all is a biblical concept that many, many, um, that many of us misunderstand and we misapply. Right? So Paul laid it out for us in Romans chapter 5, and Jesus showed it in this story. Remember what we learned last week, right? When it comes to our sin, we are all in this together. Paul starts by focusing first on Adam, right? The first Adam. And we, we all figuratively gather around Adam. And we let out this battle cry, Adam, you're our one, one for all and all for one. And when Adam and Eve took that fruit in the garden and ate it, when they listened to the serpent instead of God, when they chose sin instead of obedience, they made that choice for all of us. We all went down together. Remember verse 12 from last week. It says, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. So from the one, sin came to all. Right? We're, we're really the universal team of humanity here. Right? So we're, we're heading towards the Super Bowl, right? In fact, I think there's a game going on right now. So those of you who look down at your phones, I know you're, you're checking the score of the game. Right? So the, these, there's four teams left. We're going to get down to two today. And, and there's 53 players on each one of these teams, right? And, and they represent the whole city. So, so if Denver wins it all, the whole city of Denver is going to say, we won, even though only 53 people played. Or if they lose, the whole city is going to say, we lost, even though they never threw a football in their life. But they represent the whole, right? Well, this... We did the same thing as the human race. Adam and Eve are our team representing us. And you know the result. Our best wasn't good enough. We lost. We missed that chance. We ended up with sin instead of salvation. We ended up with heartbreak and disappointment. We ended up with death instead of life. We ended up with hell instead of heaven. 
when Adam and Eve lost, we all lost. But, Paul tells us, there's a new team playing now. There's been a rematch. A rematch of good versus evil. And instead of Adam and Eve being our representatives now, this time it's Jesus. Jesus is now representing all humanity. And Jesus goes all the way, and he does it right this time. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeds, right? He chooses good instead of bad. He chooses obedience instead of sin. He chooses life instead of death. And with him, as it was with Adam, it's one for all and all for one, right? Just like we all lost with Adam, now we all win with Jesus, right? Well, that's the question that Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 7, is asking us. Right, look at the first question and answer, question and answer 20 in, in Lord's Day 7. But I'll read the question. Would you join me in reading the answer? The question is this. Are all saved through Christ just as all were lost through Adam? What's the answer? No, only those are saved who by true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his blessings. So the answer is no. It isn't all for one and one for all this time. Not everyone's going to be saved. Not everyone's going to have their sins forgiven. Not everyone's going to go to the banquet. But doesn't that seem, if you remember Romans 5, seems to fly in the face of verses 18 and 19 that we read last week, where Paul wrote this. Paul wrote, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men. So the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Well, that sure sounds like all for one and one for all. Adam was the one who brought us all down. Jesus is now the one who brings us all up. Well, you can't read those two verses, 18 and 19, without connecting it to the verse before, verse 17. Because Paul sets up those verses by saying, if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and his gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Okay, it doesn't say that all will reign. It says that all who receive God's grace and his gift of righteousness will reign. So Paul makes it clear that even though there's enough grace for everyone to enjoy salvation, right? There's there's enough to cover every sin. It's not going to be forced on anyone. It needs to be accepted in true faith. Okay, that brings us back to the banquet story that Jesus told. In Jesus' story there at the banquet, that rich man had food enough for everyone. No one was going to go away hungry from that banquet. And yet some chose not to accept the invitation. Some chose not to come to the party. Some chose to walk away from this gift that was freely offered to them. Right When Jesus died on the cross and then rose again on that first Easter morning, he walked out of that tomb with enough salvation power, with enough grace to cover every single sin and every single sinner completely. He came out with a cure for 
every ounce of sin in the universe. There was no sin so great, no sinner so bad that Jesus' blood can't forgive it. He opened the door to eternity with God wide enough for everyone to be able to get in. Right? The theological phrase for that is that Jesus' death was sufficient for all. Sufficient for all. It's grace enough to forgive everyone. But Jesus' death is efficient for those who believe. Sufficient for all, efficient for those who believe. Forgiveness is granted to those who come willingly to the foot of the cross. Salvation comes to those who humble themselves before God. Eternity is given to those who choose to be on Jesus' team instead of on their own team. You all know John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in Scripture, right? It says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone might have eternal life. Right? No. Isn't that what it says? It says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The invitation's for everyone. But it still needs to be accepted. So how do we accept it? Well, our RSVP is faith. Faith through the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what question and answer 21 of the catechism tells us. Again, join me with this question and answer. The question is, what is true faith? True faith is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. Is there another slide there? There you go. It is, let's keep going. It is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ, not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven have been made forever right with God and have been granted salvation. A little tricky reading there. Words random on the screen. True faith, that answer just said, has two parts that we need to pay attention to. If we want to be at God's great banquet, if we want the salvation that Jesus offers us, if we want to accept that invitation, then that answer says we need to do it both with our heads and with our hearts. Because first of all, it said that that faith is a a knowledge and a conviction. A knowledge and a conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. Okay, so the first step of faith is to accept the truth of God in our heads, with our minds. But the next question, it asks the question, what must a Christian believe? It tells us what, what the answer is. Here's what we must believe. Say it with me. Everything God promises us in the gospel. That gospel is summarized for us in the articles of our Christian faith. A creed beyond doubt and confessed throughout the world. And then the next question and answer gives us the Heidelberg Catechism. Which in the coming weeks we're going to start walking through what those articles of faith are. What do we need to believe? True faith is saying yes to the truth and the promises that we find in this book. We recognize Jesus as the Son of God who died and rose again. We acknowledge that that it doesn't all make sense to us. We can't explain the ways of God perfectly. We'll have unanswered questions until we find ourselves in the presence of God. But we cling to what we know is true. 
faith starts in the head. It starts with the mind. It's an intellectual ascent. But it doesn't stop there. Right, that intellectual ascent, as important as it is, isn't enough for true faith. We must also, that answer said, that we must have not only a knowledge and a conviction, but we must also have a deep-rooted assurance. A deep-rooted assurance that comes straight from the heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes it from our head and moves it to our heart. And it becomes the core of who we are and the core of what we believe. And so we feel and we experience God's grace deep in the core of who we are. We feel and we experience his forgiveness deep in the core of who we are. We feel that salvation that's been granted to us deep in the core of who we are. True faith, the Holy Spirit moving it from our our head to our heart and giving us a deep-rooted assurance that we've changed teams. We're off of Adam's team and we're on to Jesus' team now. The head and the heart that sold out for Jesus. That's exactly the ticket that you and I need to come to this banquet that's been offered for us. One for all. All for one. In Adam, we all went down together. Now in Jesus, we all have the opportunity to go up together. To all who believe God gave the right to be called a child of God. But too many in this world are leaving that offer on the table. Too many are choosing something other than the banquet. <clears throat> right? Some have, some have gotten the invitation. They've heard the word. They've heard the truth. And they decide to throw it away. Not interested. Don't want to go. I got better things to do with my life. Some have gotten the invitation from God. And maybe they've, like you've done with some invitations. You get, they stuck it on the refrigerator and said, you know what? I'll deal with that later. I'll handle that later. Maybe, maybe when I get older, maybe when I'm closer to death, I'll sow my wild oats now and I'll come to Jesus later. Maybe when I have a baby, then I'll pay attention to the things of Jesus. Some of us have accepted that invitation for ourselves. But we believe that it's just for us. Right? We're, we're headed to the feast and we're leaving our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers behind. But Jesus doesn't want us to come alone. He's made it clear that there's plenty of room for everyone. There's no reason not to invite. There's no reason not to bring others along. In fact, Jesus in the story makes it clear that he's not satisfied. He's not going to be satisfied until his banquet is full. He's not going to be satisfied until you and I bring the people around us with us. In this story that Jesus tells, we're the servant. We're the servant that he sends out and says, go find them. Go, go to, the, to, to the far reaches of the city and force them to come in. Please, just bring them to the party. Bring them back. And if, if that servant comes back alone, then he's failed his task. He's failed his master. If we've accepted the invitation, then why not bring someone along? The feast has been planned. Tables are set with fine linen. The food is hot. It's ready. The doors are open for God's great salvation feast. All he needs now is a response. The party's going to go on whether we choose to be a part of it or not. So I hope that you've RSVP. I hope you're going to come. And I hope you're going to bring somebody with you. There's room at the feast for anyone. 
and everyone who will come by faith. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your grace, your grace that's so wide and high and deep that nobody is beyond your reach. I know sometimes we feel like we're beyond your reach. We feel like the things that we've done must be so bad that, that you can't forgive. Or maybe we keep falling into that same sin again and again and again. We think that grace must have run out for us by now. Father, don't let us believe that lie. Help us to know the truth that the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, is enough to forgive every sin. Help us to accept that truth for ourselves. And Father, help us to accept that truth for the people that we know and love, the people that you put into our lives. Help us never to give up. Help us never to stop praying for them, inviting them, bringing them to the banquet with us. Give us the courage to do that. And we pray that your banquet table would be full and overflowing. Thank you, Jesus, for the great celebration that's waiting for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.